You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man-to-man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and get right into the presentation this week. The first member of our team, he is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our research analyst, lead research analyst here on Longhorn Blitz. Matt Butler, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. Yourself? Are your daily fantasy pants... <laughs> Uh, at attention for the oh, yeah. restart. Oh, finally, right. yeah. No, today prices <laughs> yeah. came out, man. It was like this morning because I've been checking every day because once the prices get out, you can really start to get into work. And this morning, <laughs> I, st- I, didn't, I was like, ah, there's other stuff coming up. And I was hoping because today's the first day of scrimmages. So here at 3 o'clock, they're actually playing basketball games in the bubble. Yeah. But Amen, no DraftKings for that. But they came out for prices for LeBron and Zion if he's there against Utah. So we're uh, almost a week or eight days away. I think uh, nice. as we sit here today recording this, I think Mav scrimmage Philly tonight, maybe? Yeah, they're on the first list, I believe. Yeah. And I then get right. the Rockets right out of the gate, which would be pretty cool. Mavis, Mavis with Luca and Porzingis at center. That's about as good of a group you can get. Yep. A man who's ready for the NBA restart. Dare I say he's ready for baseball to get here. Uh, <laughs> he needs his sports fix. But he's been good during the pandemic, nonetheless. Because he's a renaissance man. Our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos. And a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was known in football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Man, nice. I like that. You're moving fast, too, like Rod V now. That's yeah. got the Micro Machines guy stuff you, working. You can hear the enthusiasm <laughs> in Jeff's voice for yeah. sports. No, my brain, appreciate the intro, as always. My brain and my body are a little more charged, so <laughs> just, you know, I got to take care, start taking better care of myself, so I'm starting my, my morning walks again. Hey, oh, wow. good for you, man. Trying man to talk eat, about your lunch. Trying to eat right. I Rod, Yeah, I was telling Matt yeah. for lunch today, I went Elaine from Seinfeld. I went with the big salad. The big lunch. salad. Well, Nothing wrong with the big salad, Listen man. how mature this man sounds. Dude, yeah, a morning hey. walk and a big salad for lunch. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it, it, it'll make it make a huge difference for you, man. You'll start oh, yeah. sleeping better. You'll start feeling better. You'll get more regular, all those things. But another reason things. why uh, my brain is working more than it normally would is uh, I'm on the air by myself for nine shows. Craig Way's on vacation, so oh, yeah, you I've got to light the top tower. Of your game. I've got to light the tower all to myself. Yeah, man. That's good. It'd be fun. It's good. Oh, man. I'm, I, you I had and Snoop, a, I heard y'all today. Snoop y'all sounded good. I had a good. blast today, man. Yeah, y'all sounded good. To, yeah, I, I'm I like, in. 
I like educating Snoop and the listening audience on like small town Americana because you guys know I grew up not far from here in Florence, which is a small town. So mm-hmm. you tell stories about uh, you know real life is like, hey, you might actually accidentally grab someone's Dude. dip cup or spatula. Oh, I heard that talking. I heard that, that on the way in, yeah. and you yeah. gave me a flashback that. of waking up hungover at a friend's house just on the couch. You, know, oh, you no. pass out drunk, no, and all your buddies at the party, and you go to take a sip, oh, and it's it happens, just man. chugging oh, that happens. about as disgusting as it, when life. you're hungover and you don't even. Know if they're like ashes mm. in it and it was a dip cup, yeah, Dude. about you know, as bad other, as it gets. The other story I shared, Rod, so disgusting, um, yeah. And the, the Longhorn disgusting. Blitz audience, I, I I'm, gr- I'm sure, I'm sure the Blitz Nation will, uh, you know, you can confirm this. Some of you, I'm sure, you know, I always thought it was a myth. People, you know, you see Reddit threads or whatever about disasters, but people eating sugar free gummy bears. What's this? What is this myth? This. I've never heard about this myth either. Explain this to oh, me. Oh, I gotta educate you guys. Oh so, man, small what? town stuff. Eh? Yeah, no, I didn't, this, I this, know this is not. This is not yeah. small town America. My city no, boys is, don't know about this that. Is real life. Sugar? Do they get you high or something? No. Sugar free gummy bears. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what the eggs down in Austin. I found this at the. Turns out they were all those good guys. That's why they put the Bastrop to Buda. If you go down twenty one, is what thirty thirty five minutes probably. That far. Um. So I'm on my way back from Houston a couple of years ago. I stopped at the Bucky's and Bastrop, and as I tell the story, I'm like, you know, I was at the point where I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put junk in my body, but let's make it good junk. Let me get some sugar-free candy. And I oh, ate a couple sugar handfuls. sugar-free candy. I ate some, oh, I, I get a couple terrible. handfuls of these gummy bears. By the time I get, like, to Mustang Ridge, kind of 21 and 183 area, I'm, like, liquefying at that point, and my stomach is making noises that it oh. shouldn't make. Well, I neglected to read oh. on the bag rod. Is and you can find this on a lot of sugar-free candy. I did not know that. Consuming sugar-free products may have a laxative effect. Wow. This is a thing? Is it any sugar-free product or just the candy? A lot of uh, candy. A lot of it's okay. candy. Well, if wow. you consume a lot of, like, uh, you know, basically it's if it's got the sugar alcohol in it, if that's how you're making your sugar-free products, yeah. then that can, wow. you know. It, it can do some damage. Man, you sh- that, that's why I'm against sugar-free candy. Yeah, I've just got lucky. I'm ag- I just yeah, haven't had I, any sugar-free candy. It's like non-alcoholic beer. Like, I don't, no, no, I don't I've, want that. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I bought it once and was like, what is this N.A. on the front of it? And then it ended up being not good. Oh, like, oh, this is disgusting. I, I didn't a, even drink I it. Heard, as I once heard somebody <laughs> say it, in trying to correlate something, like that's like fantasizing about a low-fat Twinkie. I don't want to fantasize about that. I thought that's not the point of what no. the fantasy is about. Mm-mm. No oh, um, man, you learned a lesson. But uh, good so to know. I don't Why want anybody to lose their jobs, Rod, at, at any time, let alone a pandemic. But if the sugar-free candy industry got a massive overhaul as a result of the pandemic, I would be perfectly fine with that. I do think there is going to be if you're a, a a company that's in the food industry of any kind, and you can't when there's like a run at the grocery store and they're selling out of everything, and your stuff is still left on the shelves, yeah. and, <laughs> right? In copious amounts, you might need to rethink that strategy. People hate whatever that is. They don't yes. like that kind of chip, that kind of candy, whatever. I've I've walked by, even that some there's some toilet paper that I've seen that's still there. And I'm like people must really hate that kind of Single toilet paper. Pie. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, speaking of candy, didn't, didn't you tell me a couple years ago that your dad was a big fan of the score? My dad candy liked bar? the worst candy, paydays <laughs> and scores. Oh, paydays oh, absurd. Scores like the most, it's like a health bar. Oh, scores, so scores like the most 
bare candy oh, it's, you can eat. It's terrible. I don't even know what it it's is. It's right up there with like sprees and like oh, sprees or fake sweet tarts. Oh, well, and of yeah. course, what is sprees. it? Candy corn is just disgusting. Yeah, I, I, I do eat candy corn, but I don't prefer it. Nobody, okay. you've never yeah. met anybody that said, Rod, let's go get a candy bar. You know what? I really want a score bar. <laughs> <laughs> mm, <laughs> my no. dad likes paydays. I don't think that either. I think they're just as bad as scores. Craig Way and I had a debate about the payday. The payday is a terrible I yeah, actually like the payday it because <laughs> it is really bad. I like the payday, but, oh. but I was like, I was like, well, Craig, doesn't paydays have peanut butter? And he's like, no, it's with nougat. And I googled it, and like, sure enough, it's like yeah. peanuts and caramel. It's, it's not pe- peanut yeah. butter. But then I realized Craig was doing a bit. He just wanted to see how many times he could say nougat on the air. So, <laughs> you know, That's Craig Way humor. Craig Way is such life, one. such as life, doing a show with the, with a Hall of Famer. Nice. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so. One one of the reasons why I love doing the show with you guys is we don't have a set format. We don't have rules we have to follow. We can kind of take it in any direction, and we use this off season yeah. to really kind of turn this show unintentionally into a football theory type show. Not that Rod, you call me a football theorist. I call you a football theorist. I don't, uh, mm. you know, I don't consider myself to be at the top of the food chain when it comes to ideas and such. I came up with the term because. I just used to. I love sitting around talking football right. and theorizing about how to solve problems and how to really advance and progress, evolve the game. Even though I'm not a, a coach, right. I still probably believe I could be a coach at some level. But I do think that's ultimately coaches are problem solvers and they're just teachers. So, I mean, just like teachers are in the academic world, mm-hmm. there's an academic aspect to football and a lot of academic is you you know there are these study groups essentially these think tanks that's a part of academia and everywhere Mm -hmm. and i think football think tanks are really really fun that's why the football theory term that's where it came from and you spoken as a true educator learned your education major i'm an education it makes sense though if it's like your personality most coaches are in the education field uh you know i mean our dkr always said you know i'm a i'm a teacher uh, my classroom is just on the football field. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really miss because of the pandemic is clinic season. And mm-hmm. Rod, you know, we talk about. I'm, I'm going to take you one year. We're going to go to the Angelo Football Clinic yeah. and go to like the Wade Phillips Barbecue and all that fun stuff that goes on out there in Angelo. But I miss the Angelo Clinic. I got in one clinic mm-hmm. where Chris Ash was actually a guest lecturer here locally. The Central Texas Coaches Association did a clinic uh, and. Oh, Matt, what, you, I was going to say, Wade Phillips has a barbecue, like a side keg party or something? Like, yeah, what is this thing? Well, he sponsors, like, a barbecue for oh, all the coaches. That is amazing. That sounds, when you said fantastic. Wade Phillips barbecue in passing, that just sounds really Wade Phillips texting. is one of those guys, Rod, He's the son of Bum Phillips. Well, you talk about that guys that are willing to pass on the knowledge of the game. Wade Phillips he's does one of those people. all kinds of clinics. I believe that. And, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, Wade Phillips. Mm. And yeah. one of the greatest defensive minds of, of our generation that we've ever no seen. No question. And I guess they're big to barbecue. Well, I mean, if you got you got to feed you got to feed a few hundred coaches. I mean, there's no better way to. If feed your dad's named Bum, barbecue. you probably can barbecue. <laughs> um, but uh, so I'm, I've missed clinic season. Like I said, the Central Texas Coaches Association put on a clinic, their clinic series. I got to attend the the Chris Ash lecture in February. Uh, but thank goodness the Texas High School Coaches Association didn't cancel coaching school. They took it online. So that's cool. I, I got access to the lectures. That's actually I, maybe even better, actually. I listen, yeah, to, Chris, I listen to Chris Ash. I listen to Mike Yersich. Could you record it all? It can't, I, I've got audio to help me go back and recall okay. some things, but I've got like 
only access to it for a limited time, but um, I've got access to those lectures, so I know Matt wants some of them. It's definitely so. a way to hack and record it. Oh, we can record yeah. your <laughs> But I'm just saying we don't want to do that. Your desktop. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Well, only use it for uh, personal use for research purposes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, 100%. Uh, so it's fascinating, though, guys. Like, I love just expanding because I don't know everything. And, Rod, you've forgotten more football than I know. I just like oh, expanding and just trying to figure out how the mm-hmm. game works to hopefully yeah. make me better at my job. It will. And, like, I, I was fascinated, man. I watched Lincoln Riley's lecture, and he's going over just some of his offensive principles. I bet that was He was talking about the, the Y-cross concept in the air raid offense. And yeah. that was, it was a Mike Leach staple, and mm-hmm. he's taken it and made it his own. He spent a half hour on one concept <laughs> and the different ways you can show it and the different tags you can have off, have off of it and how it looks in a two-back look and play-action shots off of it. And I'm like, this is one concept of, Lord knows how many different concepts you've got in this offense. Unbelievable. And just all the fail-safes you have to it. So it's fascinating. But, Rod, I want to get to something that you brought up on, on your show, which, by the way, you can hear Rod each and every weekday on the horn uh, on the – Triple option with RBKD, with Rod, Brad Kellner, and Kevin Dunn. Shameless plug. Uh, something you brought up. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I was doing some yard work, so I kind of caught it mid-talk. Mid <laughs> but nice. you were basically breaking down the difference between – it was kind of a Joe Burrow, Sam Ellinger, Texas LSU topic. Yeah. And it basically you got down to something we talked about on the show, which is one of the things – that really helped Joe Burrow take his game to the next level mm-hmm. and how you deal with pressure. And one of the ways that guys that are thinkers like Joe Brady, like Lincoln Riley, uh, hopefully Texas fans see and we see like Mike Yersich, how do you best combat the blitz? And the conventional way, Rod, forever is you got to have six-man protection, mm-hmm. seven-man protections. Well, no, now the thinking is just put as many guys in a route as possible and just get the ball out fast. Yep. Like that's how you how you account for for free rushers because mm-hmm. somebody's got to be open. If you have the quarterback that can handle it, that's exactly. kind of the key so, too because Joe Burrow was the key. He he could handle it and he had that quick release. You've got some numbers. Yeah. So, I just kind of want you to go down some of the numbers that show Joe Brady and this philosophy of, no, here's how we're going to handle it. We're not going to throw more mm-hmm. blockers at the problem. We're going to throw more more skill guys, more targets at the problem and mm-hmm. how we deal with free rushers and, and have fail-safes in the offense, which that's another thing. Like We talked about it before we went on the air. Like A lot of these spread concepts, is you basically eliminated the hot route. Like There is no designated, like, this guy is hot. There's going yeah. to be a hot, hot route, route somewhere yeah. in this built in. in this play yeah. as a quarterback. You just have to understand where's mm-hmm. the free rusher coming from. Therefore, this guy is open. Therefore, this is the hot route I'm taking on this play. Yeah, uh, and I actually got it from – man, this is a quote from actually the research I did about Joe Brady and Joe Burrow in the during the season for the Texas-LSU matchup. But Joe Brady, this is what he said when they asked him about you know, protections and how is he going to design the pass protection for the LSU scheme around Joe Burrow. And he said, statistically, it shows that when you're in a five-man protection, five-man protections give up less sacks. A lot of people think when you get a lot of pressure, you need to bring the box in and bring in max protections, six-man, seven-man protections. But I think when you actually go five-man protection, you actually get the ball out faster. You limit what the defenses can do. And, you know, it's – it's actually not a bizarre concept, but you have to have a, have to have a quarterback mm-hmm. that's willing to sit in the pocket that can identify where the pressure is coming from immediately yep. and knows pre-snap, based on his pre-snap diagnosis, based on that, he knows, okay, 
this is where I'm likely to have to go with this football. This is where the pressure's coming from. Therefore, this is where the void's going to be in the defense. That's where the hole's going to be. That's where the route concept I'm going to. And Joe Burrow, I mean, we all watched him analyze and process information, and it was unbelievable how quick he did it. And, you know, I started thinking, you know, Texas had a lot of issues with pass protection last year, right? Texas was 84th in sack rate, 95th in standard down sack rate, 77th in pass down sack rate, 111th in uh, sacks allowed, all right? 36 sacks allowed, 2.77 per game. They had issues with pass protection. But unbelievably, if you look at the pro football focus ratings for the individual performances, Texas is the only Power 5 offense that's going to return Two offensive tackles with an 85-plus pass-blocking rating. They actually have Derek Kerstetter with a better pass-blocking rating, 91.6, than Sam Cosme. Uh, we're going to move Kerstetter inside, but it, it, this may actually help Texas moving him inside. You need a good pass protector inside. One of the places where the pressure often got to Sam Ellinger was up the gut, up the interior, unfortunately. And that's what the because they couldn't figure out the twists and the stunts, right? They couldn't figure right. out those games. So... If you look at moving Kerstetter inside, could help you solidify the inside and help you deal with some of that chaos that the interior of the offensive line last year just couldn't deal with, whether it be the Oklahoma game, whether it be the West Virginia game. I mean, you name it. Uh, that was the one thing that Texas offensive line couldn't figure out. So Texas last year, and with Sam Ellinger, when he was under pressure, how about this? Another pro football focus stat. Mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger, he bailed on a clean pocket 40 times in 2019. That was six more times than any other quarterback in college football. So at one point, probably after that Oklahoma game, if we go back and track it, he lost faith in that offensive line and said, man, ain't no damn way I'm sitting in this. I'm not going to trust this Not going to risk it. I get the slightest bit of pressure. If I got a chance to get out, I'm getting out. I'm bailing on this pocket. And I still still think Sam was one of the better pocket-passing quarterbacks in the country. Still, the stats reflect that. But he did – and I think Tom Herman understood – he did bail on a lot of clean pockets last year no mm-hmm. doubt the stats reflect that but I think this year if you can just insulate him with a quick passing game right mm-hmm. and this is going back to LSU if you look at 2018 LSU had over 300 dropbacks where they had six or more pass blockers they lowered that number to 89 in 2019 so they had the third most uh quick game quick game pass attempts, if you Mm -hmm. will, in college football. They got the ball out quick. That was the insulation for the pass protection. It also helps your offensive linemen. They know they don't have to block for a very long time when you are, you know, when the passing game is happening. Or the RPO, which they did. They ran a lot of RPOs, too, which Texas should probably run a lot more of those, too, if you want to help in pass protection. It naturally helps with the run-pass option. The game happens quick. The passing game develops quick. Mm -hmm. So, if you go look at Sam Ellinger, he graded out pro football focus numbers again, and I Listen, pro football focus numbers, I love them. They're great. I take them with a grain of salt. Grading I, I, t- is it's, it's exactly. unique. It's, it's unique and it's imperfect. It's as individualized all systems when are. it's not yes. an individualized sport. But they have them as the best quarterback in college football versus the Blitz. Yeah, him and Trevor Lawrence are both at 90.9. Yeah. They and got Joe Burrow ahead of 90.8. And Joe Burrow, I thought, was the best quarterback in the country versus the Blitz. We Tua know that all too well versus, you know, versus LSU last year when Texas kept blitzing and he was eating Texas alive, mostly by getting the ball out really, really quickly. So you know Sam can handle the Blitz. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback versus the Blitz. I think he's one of the best versus the Blitz. We know he can handle the Blitz. We know he's got scones the size of smart cars, all right? He's going to stick in the pocket mm-hmm. if he knows that it's about making the throw, which I've seen him do. 
And I think Texas will be uh, have better pass protection inside anyway when they move Kerstetter inside. If you just use more of the quick passing game and make that part of the pass protection, having more guys on routes, Sam, a senior quarterback, a senior Sam Ellinger, is savvy enough to identify pre-snap where the matchup advantage is going to be, and he's 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 savvy enough post-snap to identify where the pressure's coming from and when to get the ball out. I truly believe that. That may take him to the next level or be part of what takes him to the next level like it was to Joe Burrow. Yep, and those numbers, just to add one more on top of them, this is from a David Hale joint on Twitter, but he's the guy that actually put yards per drop back when you include passing and scrambling and the sack yardage versus the blitz. So it's just adding your mobile okay. component. So it's the same type of idea okay. of grading, but looking at the yards per drop back and then what you get, even if you say bail from the pocket and scramble, and you still have Sam right there, 8.69, which the only guy with a name that y'all may know, with Trevor Lawrence is at the top, really, at 9.89. And then if you know Mikhail Cunningham was at 10.3. Tyler Johnston, a small school guy at 8.9. Chris Reynolds and Tavaka Tutti to wear in the whole nation of returning quarterbacks. Sam's sixth in of the major school quarterbacks, at least the ones you're familiar with. He's right behind Lawrence. And, I mean, 8.7 yards per drop back overall is a great number. And that just sort of shows what the legs can get whenever he is bailing. But when you bring up the topic on the front, in about Lincoln Riley and Riley being understanding the concept of just getting the ball out into the chaos quicker because not only are you avoiding like you mentioned the pass rush and you're negating say one of the biggest threats which is pressuring a quarterback but it's also the defense is almost like the way the NBA or if you're talking about fast break you want to go you don't want to get into a half court set but if you can go and attack in those first few seconds when there is the chaos that's the time when you get the easiest and best shots say idea with a quarterback can slow because he's the Neo in the Matrix in the mind and in those opening few seconds it's like a a football version of a fast break before you actually get into somewhere where the defense has that second to identify register and then recover on what they see coming towards them just being in the disadvantaged defensive position so it's that fast break aspect and when you have a senior like that trying to make that quick recognition memory and do those things and then even whenever he does bail is getting to this level of production he knows that at worst case scenario I'll take it on me, and that's what Texas fans saw Colt McCoy did, saw Vince Young do, and those. And that's why you want to have a guy with that skill set, but it's why it's so great to have the veteran in the type of situation on the front end where you can just attack the defense and be able to beat them before you have to use the last resort version or the run-pass option version. It's like, It gives you that chess piece that you can win in almost every situation. Kind of expanding on that, there's a couple of ways to look at it. Basically what we're talking about here is, again, the big time topic in the offseason when we talk about this offense is how can Mike Yersich get the most out of Sam Ellinger in the mm-hmm. one year he's going to have with him. And what I, when you look at the numbers, Rod, I think what the modern passing game has done, specifically the air raid, and what's unique about the air raid is unlike the run and shoot, remember Buddy Ryan called the run and shoot the chuck and duck and, <laughs> you know, or Steve Spurrier fun and gun, what's allowed the air raid to Make be as successful as it's been is just the way it's evolved. But if you look at the air raid at its core, one of the things that it really did for the modern passing game was kind of made everybody look embrace the check down. Don't be like, oh yeah, like yeah. the check down. He's yep. like, oh guy, why, why? You? I remember you check down you, Charlie. Well, you told us about your time in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Joe Harrington was check down Joey. Check, check down, down Joey used to be frowned upon. Check down Chad Pennington again. <laughs> uh, 
I'll throw another pro football focus number, and this kind of goes back to your point about how the quick game can help Sam Ellinger. Most checkdowns in the country in 2019. Number one, no surprise, Anthony Gordon of Washington State, 45. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Number two, how about Sam Ellinger? <laughs> I like that. 24. Yeah. So Sam's not afraid to check, take the check down. And that, Rod, goes back to Some this all ties together with the numbers about escaping a clean pocket. I like that. That, to me, it, does, it can say something about losing faith in the offensive line. That, to me, also says if you're hamstringing yourself with six, seven-man protections and you've only got four or maybe three guys in a route against a drop-eight look, at some point you've got to bail. At yep. some point, it's like, look, I'm either going to get murdered or I just got to take off and get what I can because nobody's getting open and I'm not going to force this ball. That's it, it, It's all – I'll agree with Tom Herman on this after the Oklahoma game. Remember he said it's not all the offensive line's fault, right? Uh, and I think he, he probably should have said – I think he did bring up the coaches, but it's on the wide receivers too. But that's also on the coaches, right? right. Sam led the Big 12 um, to Matt's uh, point, led the Big 12 in scrambles, right? He had – I think 62 was the mm-hmm. number. I think eight two out there, 62 scramble. So he led the big tournament in scramble plays. And you started looking at it with Sam. I think a lot of it was, yes, the offensive line had their struggles. But, man, they schematically never helped the wide receivers get open. And, look, by the way, you last two years you had stellar wide receivers, and too. blocking ones, too. Well, ex- real big body blocking ones, physical wide receivers. Devin DuVernay, mm-hmm. Louis Jordan, Humphrey, Colin Johnson. Now you don't have those proven commodities. You are Brendan Eagles and Tariq Black, and I'm sure those guys will be okay. But y- this year, and thank God we have Yursich, you got to schematically help those guys. So what, what LSU did to you and what Oklahoma does to you, put those guys in a bunch formation. They called it snug the one time they did it last year, right? Use more. Uh, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about, Shanahan, you know, before the show, we always talk about Shano because he's mm-hmm. one of the top five best offensive minds in football at any level. But nobody loves pre snap motions and shifts as much as Shanahan. He loves them. He loves that. He loves play action pass. Both are just cheat codes that'll help you deceive the defense, right? The pre snap motion shift, you can change the leverage. You can change the strength of a formation. You can change the numbers advantage. All that by moving and shifting, forcing the defense to process more information. And Texas didn't use enough of that last year. Those are simple things that help your wide receivers get open, give them a, a an easier release. And I think last year you left your wide receivers on an island way too much. Even Duvernay. I don't think they did enough for Duvernay to help him get open. No. Um, and I think this year Yersage will do that. That's going to help Sam and his pre-snap recognition. He's going to understand, all right, this guy's going to clear open here based on this route concept. Last year they didn't do it. No flex no flex formations with the flex, no minus splits, no bunch. Oh, I'm sorry. Versus yeah, Utah, the snug <laughs> formation. But yeah, man, these are these are not new age no. concepts. These are things the air raid embraced years ago. You know what I mean? And yet Texas, for some reason, with the pro spread, Tom Herman doesn't want to use them as much. It's strange. To I'll me. give you a Lincoln Riley nugget, and then I'll give you some encouraging things. So Lincoln Riley, I listened to his lecture uh, at coaching school, and uh, you know he. Lincoln Riley's gotten really good about giving you some good information without divulging a whole lot, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. And in other words, he's not giving away trade Basic secrets on these, on these, no question. In, his, in his clinical lectures. Mm. But one thing he said is he said he was talk, talked about his call sheet, and he basically said when he goes into a game, at least 70% of his call sheet has to be just, here's what we do. This stuff is regardless of what front, coverage, pressures, 
whatever we see. Because he, you know, and, and it stands to reason, like he said, Oklahoma has a lot the last few years has seen. Mm-hmm. We might see a team that uh, they're a four man front, you know, basically playing a cover two shell the whole time. We might get to the game and they start out in bare front or they're running a lot of cover four, stuff we didn't see on film. Basically, he's got to have 70% of his call sheet saying, no matter what they do, we, we can run this. Yeah. We might have to have different tags off we just of it. Gotta we just got to execute. Yeah. Basically, he said as a play caller, he feels. When you get to t- more than – and, Matt, this is where, like, when we talk about bus rates, once you reach cross-thresholds mm-hmm. where you're in trouble or where you're good, mm. basically said as a play caller, you're in trouble where once you get to 20% of your more – 20% or more of your call sheet becomes game-specific in terms of, well, you know, Ooh, I like that. when we're looking at you know, we plan for this mm. coverage and, and this play will work when they're in yeah. this or we see this look – once you get that specific, if it reaches more than 20%, that's where you really get yourself in a bind because you can become so just honed in on, okay, we got to look for this. We're on the hunt for this. And it's not that there's a right or wrong way. Like we heard Brian yeah. Harson for years talking about, look, uh, you've got a few, as he called them, silver bullets, and you just got to save them for the right time or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of Lincoln Riley's philosophy. And I think Texas was more of in that, that kind of game-specific yeah, game planning were. a lot last year. Like, they were. And not even so much that, Rob, but it, it, a lot of their stuff boiled down to, and I think this goes back to your point you just made, a lot of their stuff was predicated just on matchups. Like the, so the pro spread is really predicated on matchups. And it's, mm-hmm. This is where I said like the Tom Herman, Greg Davis influence, really this is where you really see it is yeah. a lot of it's predicated on matchups. My guy's better than your guy here, so I'm going to go to him in this situation mm-hmm. regardless of, of what you show. It's going to be an automatic check or, or whatever. Yep. Uh, that's just my interpretation of it, my impression of no, it. No, it's what they loved about Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey and Devin DuVernay. Because all those guys, once they got the ball, they would win those matchups. But listening yeah. to Mike Yurcich break down kind of some of his favorite concepts, it sounds like it's going to be ro- a, a lot of, you know, getting five guys into a route and a lot of, you know, more more five-man protections and, mm-hmm. and things like that and, and have some quick game involved. And he went into – you know, basically, you've got tried and true passing game concepts. It's just how can you put your spin on it with your personnel and make it work, and kind of put your own your own flavor on it. And he basically combines some things. You know, we, we talk about like the drive concept is one that uh, he wants to be a staple of the Texas offense. Which basically, if you go back to like the West Coast offense with Bill Walsh, is basically mm-hmm. just kind of a high low concept. Yeah. Uh, but he likes incorporating it with well, like a triangle read or delta read, as he calls it for the quarterbacks, where you basically you know. Your basically drive concept is you've got you know your wide receiver running a kind of a shallow just a shallow cross. Mm-hmm. Your your tight end might run like a ten to twelve yard dig, dig, and then yep. but the key then then you've got the running, running back, back pop it out, it and he might out. run just like a little little stop route. Yep. So then the quarterback's reading off all that. Uh, so the way he broke it down, that really got me thinking when I heard you talk about it on your show. I was like, well, a lot of stuff I saw Yersis diagram. A lot of it was whether awesome, regardless, and he ran it from. Different formations. You go three by one. You go doubles. Uh, you know, empty. Whatever. A lot of it's five man routes. Which I was like, okay, that's a start. But here's the other thing, and this is why I think you'll really like it. And if you want to kind of go positive, uplifting view of Mike Yersich, I think this is where it is. He talked about motion. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and he said, not a lot of. He said, motion is a tool that not a lot of play callers use, and they should. Because motion can do so, so many things. He said, the one thing you take for granted that it does is it helps you get a free release. Yep. 
which I think about the free release rod, and then I think about Todd Orlando and his corners playing off coverage, and mm-hmm. why in this league are you giving guys free releases? It never made sense to me, but whatever. <laughs> Charlie did the same thing. I just don't get it. But anyway, I digress. But he's talking about you know motion can help you win on, on the line of scrimmage. You yep. really take that for granted. Mm-hmm. But he said basically offensive coordinators, and he tries to keep this in mind. There are two weapons every play caller has that at the end of the game you need to make sure you maximize them. Motion and cadence. I like that. Those are two weapons every every play caller has that you need to make sure you're using as much as possible to your advantage. The cadence thing is interesting, too. Because you know when it's, the ball's going to get snapped. Yeah. No, it seems because, I mean, I guess that's about the manipulation of the – the front, right? right, and how you, you know, how you manipulate the defense. The psychological games you're going to play with the defense and, and the, defense the motion, front the whole time. Emotion aligns yeah. with cadence too. Just in theory, whenever you're talking about the timing of the motion, and you know, also going against the defense. Yeah, it depends on how detailed oriented your your you know your offensive coordinator is. Because I know for Shano, the I mean, that's that's huge for him, how he times out the motion and the shifts with check and with Kittle, where they end up, the angle that they end up mm-hmm. so they can get a block cast. But, you know, they have the um, – man, they have all these different blocking concepts where essentially Kittle and check end up blocking the other side of the formation. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where they initially start, and mm-hmm. and then it, they're sealing off that, and they're back sealing side off the back. momentum of and then, motion, yeah, and then the guy that's supposed to be responsible for him, who has him in man coverage, or may have him uh, be responsible for him if he runs, let's say, uh, a route downfield, or if he's running an end and around, which the 49ers do all the time, then that defender is now thrown into the chaos immediately. Yeah. So and it's it's yeah, it's great because if you look at the teams that use motion the most <laughs> in the NFL, the so five. Awesome. Top teams, Kansas City, San Fran, Tennessee, Baltimore, New England. You're spot on. I just Those scrambled through to pull right Did, down. Yeah. It's oh, literally yeah. – Shan- that's what I was scrambling. Yeah. Shanahan, one. Belichick, two. Harbaugh, three. Vrabel, four. Andy Reid, five. Yeah, man. And if, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, that's all you need to know right there, basically. Motion causes at, emotion. Well, and then if you look at play action rate, Vrabel is fifth on that list whenever you go through. I'm just scrolling through because Roto World did a great little quick breakdown if everybody has to look at it. Somebody like Sean McVay is third in play action rate and then if you look at Andy Reid is second in play action rate and the Ravens are first in play action rate and that's according to Roto World's distinguishment and and when we were talking about the checkdowns a second ago look at this right here on the average depth uh, of target and you look at guys that really like to scheme players on open at the very bottom San Fran had the lowest depth of target of anybody, but that yeah. immediately showed me that they're the type of team that doesn't care where the target is. They're throwing to the open man that is able to go to where and I, if it's— I believe they lead the NFL in yards after catch, too, if I'm not mistaken. And that totally correlates for, there. <laughs> for the you know who's the third least? Goes hand in hand. The third least is the Saints. The fourth least was the Rams. You have some of the best offenses on the bottom end yep. when involving deep— target rate so not only are they using the pre-snap motion and the play action to be able to do it then they aren't afraid to go anywhere the defense oh, yeah. basically articulates it to go Debo Samuel when I put him in speed motion or jet sweep motion but then I decide just toss it to him like it basically yeah. it's a glorified sweep that's a yeah. that's a long handoff to him mm-hmm. but it counts as a forward pass mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean when he's he's one yard past the line of scrimmage or whatever he is it works as a swing route to him and Shanahan's been top five in in 
pre-snap motions and shifts, I think, in the NFL since 2014. Every one of his offenses is because it's an easy way to deceive the defense. I don't know why, man. I don't know why everybody doesn't use a ton of it. it mm-hmm. As a defender, but, I can tell you, it makes my life a living hell. Yeah, like, it just makes my life a living hell. I, I can't be, I can't get comfortable. Yep. I'm moving around. I can't get comfortable. I, I got to process information on the run. When you love a guy, have to process information while Dude, he's it's running. Tough. I mean, I don't understand what the hell's taking these offensive minds so long. It's Why don't they Jeff's like to mind, use it? Jeff's simple mind. It's so it's, it's so easy. Complicated. And all the best offenses men. in the NFL are using. Them. I don't get it. That's crazy to me. That's strange that he, he says that's not a popular concept. And we know it because Tom Herman doesn't use a ton of it. Hey, Matt, real quick, just for, for kicks, where did the Cowboys rank on the depth of target? Uh, let me go. Oh, on depth of good. target. I'll oh, Cowboys went. They Overall, had a offense, look, though. While I'm on it, uh, looking at their play-action rate was 14th. Pre-snap motion was 14th, so they're yeah. right there. And depth of target, of it looks like they're about 20th, a uh, little bit below average, right around the middle okay. of the field. All right. Yeah. I just wanted to see if I could throw Jason Garrett under the bus. One they were top five for the first six weeks, though, in pre-snap motion and play action. And then they dropped off a cliff the more, I think, Jason. <laughs> Kellen Moore. Yeah, Kellen Moore had influence early, but then it faded. Because we know yeah. where Kellen Moore learned his, his – he built his football philosophy with Brian Harson. Great point. What does Brian Harson love? Pre-snap Brian motion. Brian Harson loves pre-snap Calls motion. Because it funk. Lo- yep. Loves different formations. When, and when you're trying to save your job as a guy from the offensive side, we saw it with Garrett or from Herman, you take over control of what you do, and now one guy survived it, one guy didn't. So, Rod, I think it, Mike Yersich does sound like he's intent on Ooh. using motions and mixing up that's formations. Great. Oh, man, that's fantastic. I'm glad you told me that. That really makes me feel well, good. You know, and again, the numbers, Shanahan won, Belichick two, John Harbaugh it's, three, Vrabel four, Andy Reid five. And what, Give me that quote again. I just want to hear, what's the Yersich quote about motion? What did he say about uh, it? I, I can get you the direct quote later, but basically okay. he said the two, the two weapons – Every play caller has that they need to make sure they use our cadence and motion. Oh, love that. God, it's good. Uh, right. But, you know, we talk about, you know, you talk about the the Debo Samuel thing. It's the same thing we saw with Devin Duvernay last year, and we said this. And I remember, uh, it always goes back to the air raid for me, because I remember, like, Mike Leach would get so much gruff, like with Torrey and Henderson of those running backs he had mm-hmm. early in his tenure, where it's like, why, why are you throwing the ball for a six-yard pass? Like, why, why yeah. are you doing that? That it's was like, mocked. I remember he's like, that. What's the difference if we run for six <laughs> yards, you praise it, yet it's a joke? It's like, we're gaining six yards. Who cares? Yep. Who cares how we got it? We got six yards. And now it's like, oh, yeah, well, screen game. And Mike Leach called it's basically like a long handoff. Mm-hmm. Well, now he's like, well, it's just an extension of the running game. Yeah. It's been an extension. Screens have been an extension of the run game for years. Mm-hmm. Yep. And just, just like now, you said, it's funny right. they were mocking it back 30 years they ago. They did. I remember the, not 30 years th- ago when oh, I played. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. They were mock, we were mocking it then. I remember it was like, uh, uh, we're not worried about, we warm to check it down. No big deal. And it's Aren't like, yeah, what if checking it all the way down the damn field? <laughs> <laughs> and he broke once he breaks one tackle, then it's a five yard to a fifteen yard. That's play. the other thing, yep. Rod, with the, getting you know eliminating one heavy mistake. protections and just focused on. And I think that's what Texas needs to do right now. Especially, I don't think it's a bad idea for this offense to do that, Rod, because you don't know who your playmakers are yet. Yep, I agree. You, you don't. I mean, you don't. Like last year, you knew Devin Duvernay needs X number of targets per game. Yep, Colin Johnson needs X number of targets per game. There's no way with the limited time he's got Mike Yersich knows. How many targets does Jake Smith need? How many targets does Brendan Eagles need? How many times do we need to get the ball to Tariq Black? You you have no idea. Yeah. You you'll know that certain position, like we know the H, right? Has got to get mm. that get volume. 
I think the H and the, the the running backs in the backfield, whether you're talking about the passing game or the running game, I think a lot of the volume of the offense is going to flow through H and then through the backfield. I think this could be an, an right? I think this has the potential to be an elite offense, as I've said, between the numbers. Yeah. If you focus on being an elite offense between the numbers and maximizing those weapons you've got, your outside receiver positions will take care of themselves. I agree. I think point. they'll get so much one-on-one coverage that, oh, hell, you got one-on-one on Brennan Eagles? All right, we'll take that, him and Tariq Black. I think most – I think I'm with you. Once teams figure out who Texas is, because I think ultimately there'll be a souped-up version of the 0-4 team. That's what you want, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like where the focus is in that backfield. Hopefully they can use Bam Bam Sam and use him as a running threat. And I think most of your talent on offense is in that backfield. It's concentrated there. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out different – ways to use him. And I said, one thing I love about yours is, too, 2018, when he's calling the plays for Oklahoma State, when they beat Texas, go back and watch it, they they beat Texas running a lot of uh, two-back formations. And they used Justice. Justice Hill, Chuba Hubbard. I think he had a guy, King was another guy. <laughs> they just used two-back formations back there. And they used some running concepts with uh, Corn Dog, if you will, too. So I think more than 50% of the time with, with that 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 cowboy back as they call it, or mm-hmm. a running back. They use two back formations against Texas, but but I digress. Anyway, um, so I know Yurcy just wanted to do that. And he said he doesn't care about eleven personnel or ten personnel, whatever the best personnel package or formations he has to use, players' formations and plays, that's his thing. He's got to use. That's what he's going to do to help them move the football. And I think it will change up a lot week to week, and I think you'll get more versatility than just the 11 personnel, even though 11 personnel is still going to be 70% of the offense. Totally agree. But I think now you'll get some – you'll get 15% of – 20 personnel with a shotgun or 21 personnel every now and then just to shake things up. Mm-hmm. And I think that could give you a really, really decisive advantage depending on how you use it. Uh, quick production discussion while we're in the middle of this podcast. Rod, you, you, you got a little bit of time today? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I want to talk defense, but I want to bring this up because I've thought about this position a lot. And we I don't think, guys, we've spent maybe more than a couple of minutes talking about it in the offseason. Tight end. Oh, yeah. Tight end doesn't it's not you know you look at Mike Yurch's track record at Oklahoma State and I don't know how much you can buy into what happened at Ohio State last mm. year. Doesn't use the tight ends a lot even when he had a guy like Blake Jarwin just not a lot of targets not a lot of catches. Yeah, I could see that. Is that's not to me? That's not necessarily a bad thing for Texas because I still don't other than Cade Brewer's experience. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what Texas has at tight end. Other than the fact that I know Cade Brewer's played a lot of football, in terms of proven commodities, I can't tell you. I, I can't. In other words, if Mike Yersich pulled me aside and said, Jeff, get, tell me why I, I should I should feature the tight end in this offense. Hmm. Other than Cade Brewer's experience, I would not have a good argument. I'm with you. I think ultimately if I'm building the offense, if I'm Yersich, right, I'm building this offense, I'm focusing my for everything on Sam Ellinger, right? I'm going to build it around Sam Ellinger about how to protect Sam Ellinger. We just talked about that earlier. And then I'm going to the, which Sam Ellinger is a part of this too, if you want to think old school terminology, then I'm focusing on the backfield. And that backfield is 
full of talent. It's loaded. You got Keontae Ingram and Rojo, who have had two of the better starts based on your column, Jeff, which was fantastic. I still refer to it because it was so great. Uh, the breakdown of the 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 receiving uh, the the receiving threats that both Rojo and Keontae Ingram have been already, but that they could be in the Tom Herman offense. I, and Tom Herman, naturally, even at U of H, he loves using the running backs in the passing game. Loves it. Duke Catalan mm-hmm. had a 40-catch season. Yeah, he, even at Ohio State, he loves it. Like, that's one of his things. It's one of the things the pro spread, it naturally fits with the roster that you have and the personnel you have. So, and, you know, B. John Robinson actually is a really good receiving threat out of the backfield. B. John Robinson, well. he'll play H, I think, and play it really well. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. So, you got, and then we know Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith are playing the H with the hybrid position. So, hopefully, there is some room to move those guys in situationally into the backfield as well. So I think I'm going to start there and then I'm going to go I'm going to go H as well. So those are my that's why I'm building the offense around even the passing game will be built around that talent, that core and then the wide receivers which we still a lot of unproven commodities there and then tight end. Tight end is the last it's the last position I would be trying to force feed targets to and opportunities to. Or even force to. feed uh, right? playing time to. Like yeah. if if, you, if it's your best eleven, it's the same thing you talk about on you know defensive side. And at times it may not be what's traditional, but we've seen it entire seasons where you didn't have a tight end because of necessity via injury. That if it isn't your best group, and if you find something and you have a running back that you feel that can you know motion out and get a more advantageous mismatch somewhere, you don't necessarily have to put one on the field, but if you do, hopefully you have ones with specific tools that you're able to utilize, and the hope would be to just have one that's average at everything, that can go out there and be serviceable, but still at that situation, you don't Mm. want to be stuck with having a tight end, if it isn't your best of eleven, dang, that's the problem. He's yeah. average at everything. You want to exactly. You want someone who has one elite tool, right? Yeah. That's what Andrew Beck. Had, oh right? yeah, I Andrew Beck. That. Andrew Beck. You, I'm you, saying to get on the field that to he get has on the field, to be I average. But then I started thinking about, well, if you're average, then can I put one of these running backs on the fully. field who's also above average? No, I'm I'm, I'm adding to what you said because I'm not disagreeing with you at all. So I'm thinking, yeah, man, that's the problem with Kate Brewer is that he is average at everything. I need guys out there to have. Some elite skill type. What's your X man ability? What if I put you in a one on one? What gives you the advantage over that other guy? Yeah. Right with Brandon Eagles. Oh, it's probably speed. He's probably can get right past that guy downfield. Mm-hmm. Right with uh, with Devin Duvernay. It was. Oh, I just got to get the ball in his hands. He's gonna break your tackle. He's gonna get to the second level. He does it all the time. Right with Colin Johnson. Oh, the catch radius. Oh man, his 50-50s are 80-20s. Just get one on one. Get it to him downfield. Little Jordan Humphrey. They all had these X man skills that gave you the advantage when you when you scheme the matchup of the one-on-one what is it for Kate Brewer what is going to get him open what is it so far it's really been trick plays and play action there you go and and that's and that's that can happen you can do that but I'm saying that's no reason for me to start force feeding him targets and opportunities and that's the case then yes I'm with Matt 20 you need to have a 20 personnel package split split back shotgun and you need to have that ready to go. I would have a 21 personnel package. We've already seen that before. Once we saw it in spring game when Jordan Whittington came for the spring game. We saw it from one drive. Uh, but, you know, start getting those together. Maybe for 15, maybe 15% of your plays, you could have those packages ready to go in case you need them. Yep. And when you look at and maybe just, a 10 personnel if you needed to. And I had the numbers up, Kate Brewer, it's what, 26 targets in his career so far over three years. Most that he's had in one season's like at 14. So yeah. it sort of shows 
because we talked about the predictability that Texas became in 11 personnel. But then when you add on the fact that, well, if you're predictable but you're really good and you can dominate, it's okay to go out there and do it. But if you have a piece that really isn't adding anything, it's worth going to look at other ideas and things that may be able to be as or more productive. Yeah, you may take away a little bit of the uh, security you feel on pass protection up front because you trust somebody like Brewer to at least understand his assignments. But in other situations, your ceiling may be a lot higher. It sort of reminds me of the idea of taking your centers off the court in basketball when teams go small and everybody was afraid of teams going and taking centers off until like Draymond Green in the death lineup really popularized it. You had a team like Houston that ended up going and making their entire roster built around it. But just with me looking at these bubble numbers, I've pulled out just random ass teams from Dallas out. And you're talking about right now, Milwaukee could be like one of the best teams in basketball ever in history. They're outscoring opponents when Antetokounmpo is on the court by like 14, right? These are other just serviceable teams without centers. Dallas with no centers, just Porzingis plus 18. Phoenix without Aiton, plus 15. Indiana without Miles Turner, plus 21. Without Gasol on Toronto, plus 27. OKC without Adams in New Orleans, plus 50. It's a small sample, but Zion or Favors. Favors was always a power forward with Utah because Joe Bear was there. Now it's either Favors or Zion at center. Outscoring people by 26 points when it's LeBron Caruso and Anthony Davis out there at center outscoring people by 27 points so like it sort of shows systemically over time when the teams are willing to do it now uh, you hear Carlisle with Dallas talking about doing an all guard lineup playing five guards in the bubble at one point Hmm. because the idea of breaking the conformity of the traditional thought it really has proven in other sports to be more advantageous to be aggressive in your thinking to try something new and these are the type of times when Texas needs to get away from something that may have already lowered your ceiling, made you predictable, and it may not even be your best 11. Yeah, Rod, the K. Brewer thing, and I want to start a defensive discussion that we'll have to carry over to next week uh, because we just don't have a lot of time left in this week's show. But here's where the K. Brewer thing uh, leads back to your the topic you brought up about five-man protections and getting away from six- and seven-man protections Mm -hmm. and, and heavy bodies in the box. If you're asking me, okay, if Cade Brewer's on the field, what do you want him doing? I would much rather have him involved in a route than trying to add something to a protection or just being an extra body. That's a good point. Like, I, I think the frustrating thing for me watching Cade Brewer last year is I felt like there was too much time spent on let's just make Cade Brewer Andrew Beck. Let's just ask him to do the same things we asked Beck to do. Great point. Exactly. And that's not his skill set. And like you does. said. And that's trying to fit and, him into what Tom Herman's mind was at the time. And not like, maybe the best for the team. And like I yep. keep bringing up, Andrew Beck is on an NF, was an active roster NFL player last year because he's so damn good at the one thing he's elite at. <laughs> Envied yep. by Belichick. Like the yeah. Broncos aren't asking him to run routes. Nope. It's like, no. Can you block? Yeah. We want you to blow stuff up. He's damn good. It's at the same it. thing that that's why the Cowboys drafted Jeff Swain. We want you to blow S up. That's yep. all we want you to do. Part of the reason Texas was fourth, you brought this up on uh on Light the Tower, uh, that they were in fourth down conversion rate. They were second in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. I believe they were like ninety something 
uh, last 118th. year. 118th. 118th. Sorry, I uh, gave him too much credit. And if you keep it, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That and, ain't very many FBS yeah. schools. They were better than. And just yeah, to yeah, throw out, part, he was a big part of that. And this is a Longhorn Blitz podcast, so throwing out another run blocking tight end for Texas fans, Tyrone Swoops for Seattle, just randomly. But you've had Jeff Swaim, Andrew Beck, and Tyrone Swoops are the run blocking wow. tight ends. Hey, that they, they had something they, they, they did really, really well. Have they a role in the at NFL. Something. It's that crazy. 20, that 2014 Texas offense had three NFL tight ends. It's amazing. And Texas still hasn't yeah. had a tight end since David But Thomas. I think it all goes back to, Rod, when we tie all this together, and I'm glad you brought up the fourth down because that was the last point I want to make. And I brought this up on Light the Tower because mm-hmm. Sam Cosby's on the Outland Trophy list. And it goes back to something you said on this podcast a few months ago. Basically, if you get to the end of the year and Sam Cosby's still not a projected first-round pick, you, some coach somewhere on that offensive staff failed. Miserably. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, top of the first round. Most people have him projected to be. Right. So when you look at the fourth down numbers, you look at misuse of personnel at tight end. Any any metric, eye test, whatever you want to look at, this is all about, it all goes back to what can Mike Yersich do to uplift these position groups, number one, and number two, get more consistency. It's all Mm -hmm. about consistency. And – Look no further. We talk about the offensive line metrics. Like Texas, if you look, go look at football outsiders in their metrics, their run game metrics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you just look at those, Texas was a top 15, top 10 offensive line in the country last year. What was the one thing, other than sack rate, Rod, which you mentioned, what's the one thing in the run game they were bad at? Power success. Power success rate. They yeah. were 91st in the country. That's crazy. And you tie that into your fourth down conversion percentage. Well, that's all. That, that's it right there. In a nutshell, I mean, you probably that's coaching hundred percent. Those align perfectly too. Yeah, and you had Bam Bam Sam, who I know he was hurt, but still, you got a quarterback that's kind of a power threat. And too. it also can make you become. And it's a tough situation to be in. But if you're a good play caller, but you almost take like you know, Sam has this skill set that even if it is predictable, you would expect him to be successful in it, but it will make you become almost less inventive if you sort of just start going to the low-hanging fruit that everybody in the world knows he can do that. Right, and that was the other thing with with 18. Mm -hmm. In 18, Rod, the one thing you had, you had a bread-and-butter play you could go to in short yardage. They found the power stretch, and they were were great running. Yeah. But it just seemed like it really felt like once that power stretch got stuffed on the goal line in the LSU game, and Tom Herman's used this term. I heard Tim Beck use it. I've heard several coaches at Texas use it. It almost felt like at that point of fourth down, they were just grab bagging. Like you're just trying to. Like, I can see that. It's almost like you're that you're that artist that had like a one hit wonder artist that they're just searching to find that formula. Like, what's the one thing we can hang our hat on? What do you think it's this? Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's this. Let's try this. And it just seemed like they never found something on fourth down that they could really just settle into. It's a great point. And you had Keontae Ingrams, and you had a Colin Johnson who was a big body wide receiver. You had options. You had mm-hmm. you know a Duvernay. You had options that you could go to potentially on fourth down and mix it up here. You could have just handed the damn ball off to Duvernay. Probably would have been mm-hmm. better. At you the remember time. the Kansas game? They went like with the Wildcats <laughs> sweep the with Jake Smith. 
Yeah, you know like, what I'm like where did like, that come from? Yeah, like, but I'm just saying in terms of developing like an identity. I mean, Keontae Ingram, you should be able to just hand the football off, honestly, mm-hmm. on a fourth and one. But they didn't trust that because Keontae Ingram was what, as you pointed out, inconsistent, right? So uh, should be able to just go with Sam Ellinger. That's our go-to power run play. Didn't work against LSU. They knew it was coming, and you still couldn't do it, even though in 2018. Everybody knew it was coming. Everybody knew that was a play they were going to do. Mm-hmm. They never changed it up. Everybody knew they were going to run that quarterback power stretch. <laughs> and they, they, they just dominated. Mike mm-hmm. Smith got time. fired because Lincoln Riley's watching the game from the sideline yeah. going, we know what they're running. Yeah. Why can't we stop it? Well, so when they got stopped on that, they didn't trust Sam Ellinger. And that also was very inconsistent because it didn't work as, as well as it worked in 2018. And then after that, those are your two your key components in a power running game. And then, then you start really, like you said, then you grab ass. Mm-hmm. Then you're just like, oh, what am I going to do here? I don't know. You and know you maybe mean? didn't self-scout as much how much Andrew Beck had that factor in those. Because you're talking situational football. And yeah. we go and you look at, well, last year in 2018, the stuff rate and success rate. I mean, you were up there 39th and like 52nd. You were in the top half of college football. And then the next year, you actually, offensive line numbers across the board become borderline elite. Yeah. Yet in that one little tool area, power success rate, you aren't successful. But what have you done? You lost a key component for that situational which, football, which is Andrew Beck. Should have tried Rojo. Power, tried power, Rojo su- power success rate is basically your percentage of runs on third down and fourth down with two or fewer yards to go that get a first down or a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Texas. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, I didn't like. Well, we weren't the only ones. Like we brought it up. Like, can't you run a wildcat with Roshan Johnson? He he. Was a quarterback. Yeah, spent the whole spring at quarterback. And he right at times was your best running back last you, year. You couldn't you couldn't figure <laughs> out that, that package to make it work. I'm with you, man. I don't I don't know why they couldn't get more. It just creative adds with to, it. it just man. The more I think about the offense last year, like the defense is a different discussion uh, because that was just you know general ineptitude in a lot of cases. But and injuries offense, injuries hit him hard you, on you defense just left side of the ball. So much meat on the bone offensively, man. And it's good. And it was still a good offense. It was an SP plus. Uh, you were a top ten offense. Elite a good country. offense. Yeah, but we saw against, and you pointed out astutely that in, against the best defenses, it was a bit of a mirage. Early on, you were really, really good, but against the best defenses, that offense shriveled up. And, and we've did. seen this throughout the Big 12 and best defending defenses, air yeah, raids sorry. and things like that. Like you can have a really good overall elite for a year sample size offense, but then just because in certain situational aspects you're flawed, it was the same reason I was scared to death of Mike Leach going forward on fourth down, but I also knew that they had no chance to be able to run, and in short yarded situations, like if y'all know where the markers are, it changes the game, and it shrinks the field inside the red zone in certain aspects. When it becomes those situational things, that's where you like to be Texas, where schematically you're elevated for everything else, but also in situational aspects, you can use your elite tools, elite talent, elite skills to be able to be at that top level too without mm-hmm. having to just be perfect across the board. Yeah, We'll be defensive heavy on next week's show because I've got this Chris Ash lecture and it, it's Ooh. it was kind of a condensed version of what I heard um, in February. And kind of just to give you guys, like, I don't think I could write an article on Mike Yurst's lecture because it is way too just X's and O's detailed. That, okay. yeah, it's tough to... It's tough to translate that to the written word. It's right? less philosophy and Chris culture Ash is and more. talking more philosophy. And he, yeah. He said it in February. He said it, you know, over the weekend. He's like, look, when I do clinics, he's like, I don't like talking about scheme because 
I want stuff that's going to kind of be universal to where, you know, you might, because you're talking to high school coaches, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, somebody, somebody might be uh, you yeah. know, a you know, press quarters guy. You know, some people, you might run bare front, a bare front as your it's base true. defense. You might be an eagle front. Who knows? Like, good point. Be, Everybody's got their own way they want to spin it. Right. They want to play defense. football. Chris Ashes talks philosophy and basically kind of how he views defense. And Rod, I, I love the fact, man, that the guys he leans on seems like more than anybody else are Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. Like, he really yeah. takes as much from those two guys as possible. It's great, man. And, you know, one thing he mentioned, he mentioned in February that he got these from Bill Belichick. And he, mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily looking at, you know, what, how, what constitutes good defense, but what gets you beat. And he's always mindful of these things. He said Belichick lives by these things, the things that get you beat, lack of effort, mental errors, mm-hmm. poor fundamentals, and penalties. Those four things will get you beat every time. It doesn't matter who you're playing, what you do. You've got to make sure those four things are locked down. Yeah, I like that. Bad fundamentals, too. And Texas had some bad fundamentals and for a while. here's one more thing, and we'll get more into this this week. Chris, he talks a lot about tackling and how, like, Pete Carroll. He said bad fundamentals. Pete, Pete Launching Carroll. yourself like Pete a Carroll. missile. Well, it Carroll. sounds like he was focused on something this offseason. Yeah, off Pete season. Carroll, Rod, as we know, like, brought rugby tackling in vogue. And Chris mm-hmm. Ash said, you know what, He until he studied film and realized, yeah, I'm teaching it wrong. This is This is the way. He's all in on rugby tackling. And one thing he said, we'll talk, again talk about this more next week, but he said, you know what leads to poor tackling? The number one thing that leads to poor tackling, something mm, that we've seen Texas suffer from for years when tackling has been an issue, lack of confidence. Mm. And that goes back to teaching fundamentals and guys Coaching. being sure of themselves. That's when you see uh, just launch yourself into say, no, no, just. Yeah, go up there, get your, yeah, <laughs> keep, your, keep your base, all right, bring your feet with you, and go make a tackle. You don't always got to launch yourself like a missile and try to take somebody's head off. Yeah. Just go make a tackle, man. Well, I, I said many times last year in the press box watching even, it's like, wh- when did coming to balance and making a secure tackle become a bad thing? It was crazy. Mm-hmm. But but turns out that's what they were being taught. Um, and then we learned that later on. I believe it was P.J. Locke that told, oh, no, we're being taught to launch ourselves like a missile. Like, really? Launching yourself? That's not proper tackle. Well, I'll start. I'll start. They're teaching across-the-bow tackling, which for years growing up in the game, that's my brain has been wired to, yeah, across-the-bow tackling. That's how you teach it. Well, that's not they're in my, the new era of football. That's not how you're teaching it anymore. It is different, though, because there's more tackling in space than we had to do. I mean, tackling still, of course, you know, the fundamentals, I believe, are the same. But we all know open-field tackling is a different monster than just going to tackle somebody in the – phone booth of football that we grew up in Two playing different now. Games. And that's why that's why, rugby, is, that's yeah. why rugby tackling is in vogue because it's basically all about making tackles in space. And we know football, it's it continues to be a space and pace game and that's not yep. changing anytime soon. But Rod, I wanna I wanna leave you guys with this and we'll talk it'll be we'll be defense heavy next week on the show. Uh leading into I assume unless it gets pushed back again, leading into Big Twelve Media Days, which are gonna be August third. Um Tom Herman said in his when he Interviewed, I said in air quotes. Interviewed Chris yeah. Ash for the job. <laughs> yeah, he hung out and had a had a beer. They were talking defensive <laughs> philosophy, and Tom Herman said the one thing that stood out to him was Chris Ash saying, because uh, Tom Herman was part of this presentation too a little bit. Chris Ash said basically his basic philosophy on defense is be simple but not predictable. I like that. Do it on offense too. So mm-hmm. Rod, here's where I come out. You would I think, like okay, being simplistic on defense at some point that might catch up with you, but we we just talked about like all these offensive systems now. You no longer have cover three beaters or a blitz beater. They're designing offenses that have fail safes against anything you want to do. Exactly. 
RPO. Simplicity yeah. might be right, the best approach at this point. Yeah, good simplicity and getting back to teaching fundamentals and great technique. And honestly, you have to be creative about how you recruit players and who you turn into defenders. Can I, can I stop you for a second real quick? Go ahead. Because you brought this up to me a few years ago. I don't know why it never clicked until you said it. Offense, you can win with scheme. You can mask some things, especially if you've got mm-hmm. like a great quarterback. On defense, you've got to have players. Got to have if players. If you don't have players on defense, you don't have a chance. So yeah. Continue. No, that's what I'm saying. You've got to get back to recruiting, and you got to recruit instinctual good football players, turn them into defenders. That's what you got to go back. Gary Patterson probably does it better than anybody in the country. Um, but that's what you got to get back to. And that's really hard to do. You know, you got to, that means breaking the mold a little bit about, you know, who you recruit. Like line, you, we were talking about linebacker, how tough linebacker is to recruit and develop, right? In a big 12 world, it's really, really tough. So I think that's a big part of it. Like knowing that Quandre Diggs is a guy, no, no, he can play. Yeah, does he fit me? He's not long. He's not range. He doesn't fit the Legion of Boom corners. Like, no, no, no. In in this game, he can play. He can play. He's got the instincts. Identify for him because you got to identify those 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 kind of guys, man. They're, it's tough and it's tough too. Yeah, because they don't always fit the prototype. The prototype is ever evolving. Yeah, if they if you're recruiting a guy, he's a freak athlete. Then you find out his brother happened to be an NFLer. You got that football lifer. He'd been in a locker room, a coach's kid. Those few things, like whenever you can add those layers to a person, it's one thing that just makes it probably work out yeah. easier for. I him. mean, hell, Gary Patterson's got one there right now, right? Isn't that what Darius Rushton is basically? I'll, I'll <laughs> leave you guys with this. Chris Ash was talking about just again defensive philosophy and he was talking about it's the players not the plays that you went with on defense damn right and he it is. said one of the things he hates is when he hears coaches say well this guy doesn't fit my scheme well if he's one of your best 11 then your scheme needs to change because you need to get his bleep on the field oh man Spot i'm gonna on. love this guy man i think i'm gonna love me some chris <laughs> ash you damn right. I mean, it's, it really is that simple. If you got a guy that's a baller, make room for him. I mean, like we've talked about, you know, that's the <laughs> Just case. Just talk about with, that on offense. Well, we talked about that. That's how. That's the birth of a lot of great schemes, right? The Tampa two was Jack uh, was built around Jack Lambert's ability, right? And held the forty six defense. It was was it Doug Plank? It was forty six for the Cowboys. Is it I'm Doug not Plank? sure. Yeah, maybe it was. All right, I think it was. And you go look at the zone blitz for the Miami Dolphins. It was Bob Matheson who was a, a hybrid outside linebacker that they wanted to get on the field and thus came up with the zone blitz. Uh, it, it oftentimes is a trying to utilize and maximize a player that gives you that inspiration as a coach to evolve the blueprint. And that's where, like, sometimes the, the best ideas in the world come out of – you're looking for one thing. You're trying to – figure something out, but you stumble into some greatness. Like, that's literally how DNA was found. A guy was just a hereditary geneticist that's doing some other side research, and then he's like, oh, my God, DNA is going to be the best thing ever for genetic profiling. Like, once you start opening that door and thinking about other ways, who even knows what you may end up with? Yeah, Doug Plank was a safety for the Bears. He was number 46, if I'm not mistaken. That is the inspiration for the 46 Defense. Yep, there's a picture old Doug Plank. I just Googled him. Yeah. And okay, you so go. you'd, be, you'd be surprised. Like, yeah. like that's the inspiration for the 46 defense? Like, yeah. But then after that, out there. you realize, <laughs> get 46 out there, damn it. <laughs> I'll, I'll have well, this. What is it? It's the 46 defense. That's just old football coach. I'll have it this really typed is. out next Couldn't week. Couldn't even and, call him Plank. And we can go into more detail, but Rod, I'll leave you because I know you're, <laughs> you're, a, you're a Belichick guy. 
I'll leave you with one quote, Chris Ash, because Chris Ash, a lot of his philosophy is about teaching the game yep. and making sure you teach it and getting your point across and making sure Sounds you guys like understand it. Uh, his, favorite, one, his favorite Bill Belichick quote that he, I mean, I'm sure you'll see it on defensive meeting rooms on the 40, uh, practice execution becomes game reality. That's nice. Practice execution becomes game reality. That's there good. There you go. That's really good. So Chris, yeah. Chris Ash loves him some Bill Belichick. And it sounds like he should. how no, you talked about those practices it, back in your day at Texas, too, whenever they became something that was almost more. You realize the games are easy now because you're practicing that execution. Yeah, we're going up against Roy, Roy Williams and B.A. Johnson. And, yeah, Sloan and the other thing, we talked about this, too. I think this is another reason why I think you'll dig Chris Ash. He's good friends with two guys off that Belichick tree that he leans on a lot. And those two guys, one's Mike Vrabel and the other one's Joe Judge. That's big. Yeah. I love the fact that he's Belichick and then Pete Carroll, too. You know, I got a lot of respect for Pete Carroll. I think, like, I want to say, like, Chris Ash said Joe Judge basically, like, put together, like, his special the, uh, special teams tackling tape that I think he loves mm-hmm. using Joe Judge put together. Man, I'm telling you. All right. Straight Ash homie. Start calling him. <laughs> Start calling him Straight Ash homie, Back man. That's my dog. My dog. Right Boy, there. You, I didn't, did you ever think you were going to dig that one up? No, it used to be. That one we thought it was going to be that for uh, David Ash, and it never worked out for David Ash. So sorry, David. Love well, you. That that was going to be your nickname, Rod, and now we give it to Chris Ash. Well, what did Vince Young call David Ash? Called him Ashley. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, David Ash always has Beyonce wearing his damn jersey. He does. So very true. Hey man, he's uh, like I said. I, I, Beyonce never wore my jersey. I would have that up like on my bedroom wall. I'd put that on a business card. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he, he does jersey. some type of like finance stuff i see him tweeting sometimes so that would be a good one to put on the card (laughs) shout out david ash this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. <laughs> Matt, thanks for everything. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B. on the Triple Option Afternoon Show each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, our classic interviews and shows. Everything you need is on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 Podcast anywhere you get your podcast to get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Anywhere you get your podcast, search Horns 24-7 Podcast. And don't forget to like us and leave us a review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.